Thanks, Grant. Well, good morning, church family. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. Um, would, you, would you join me in praying? And as Grant has mentioned, and we've been mentioning in the announcements the last couple of weeks, we really do value prayer as a church, and we're trying to grow in that together. So please use these connection cards. Drop them into the offering, the giving boxes, the drop boxes there in the back, and we pray for those weekly. And we're, we're trying to get a team of people to get together and pray for you as you submit requests during the week. Someone just handed me this prayer request as I came up this morning asking for, friend, asking for prayer for a friend who's going back to work in the ICU tonight after being on a long break because of the just the, the heaviness and the trauma that's involved in working in the ICU right now. And, uh, and that reminds me, we have a ton of healthcare professionals in our church, and they're all living in that right now. So would you join me in praying for this person in particular and the healthcare workers in our church and our communities? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are present, that you are on the throne. Lord, when the world is shifting and when there's uh, so much out of our control. You remain in control. Lord, we, we kick back and we fight it, and the world is um, striving to gain control. But Lord, this morning, would we rest in the fact that though the earth totters, though the kingdoms rise and fall, God, you are on the throne. Lord, I pray for Katie as she goes back to work tonight after a long break and has experienced trauma at the ICU, would you be with her? Would your presence, would your shalom, would your peace, would your calm be with her? Lord, for all of the healthcare workers in our church and our surrounding community, Lord, would you carry them? Lord, would we know how to be a support to them and to one another? Lord, this morning as we gather to look at your word, I pray that you would use it to speak to us. Meet each one of us where we're at here this morning, Lord Jesus, and, and remind us of where we are. We are in your presence, not because we entered this building, but because your presence lives within us. The spirit of the living God dwells within his followers, and so would you remind us of that today, and we, would we engage with you. For where you are, there are pleasures forevermore and fullness of joy. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to continue our study in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, so I'm going to invite you to stand as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I would love to have you follow along. It's on page 953 in the Pew Bible, so please open up a Bible and get your eyes on God's Word, whether that's your own Bible, a Pew Bible, or your phone. Either way, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 together. Starting in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago, he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely, merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one and will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, 
grace of God given to me, like a skilled master, I built a foundation. I, I, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire." Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. You may have a seat. Well, there's, there's a common bond that ties all of us together this morning. Every single person sitting in this room has had this experience. We all started here. Drinking milk, right? All having to be breastfed and bottle-fed. This is my son Judah feeding my youngest daughter, Oakley. It's a cute picture, but it's a reality, right? Every single one of us, we come into the world drinking milk. Hopefully, you're not still drinking milk, right? The goal in life is to move on to solid food. Bacon. Yes, bacon. Now, I, it's debatable whether bacon's actually a solid food or not. It kind of melts in your mouth, but you get the point, right? Paul here in this passage is telling us that, that as believers, as followers of Christ, we all start with milk, like an infant, like a baby, like all human beings. We start with milk, but as we grow, we move into food. My kids made the transition from the bottle to the bacon years ago, and it's a glorious transition that each one of us should make. But this transition is messy, right? The transition from bottle to bacon is messy. It, it, it involves a ton of food everywhere. All of you new parents, there's many of you right now, you're in the bottle stages. The first birthday is going to come where you give them that cake and, and you set this sugary, glutinous pile in front of your child and just let them dive in and just go nuts on that cake. That's part of the process of moving from milk to solid food. Along the way, there, there, there's putting spaghetti in your face, you know, digging your face. Oakley, my daughter, takes the cake, literally and figuratively, right? She's the one in the middle there with cake all over her. She's the one with the bowl in her face. She's the one going straight for the frosting on the top of the gingerbread house as they're being constructed. They're not supposed to be eaten right now, but this is how Oakley lives her life. And Judah is our fruit kid. He was all about the blueberries everywhere. And Avery just likes ice cream because who doesn't? Right? This, this is the reality. To move from milk to solid food, it requires a mess. Chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians is, is all about growth in the mess. This entire book, it, it, its subtitle as we preach through it, it's The Mess That God Loves. Because the church is a mess. And us growing up into maturity in Jesus, it involves a mess. You don't move 
from milk to solid food without a lot of mess. And I'm testimony to the fact that you still don't eat solid food all the time without a little bit of mess. Amen? Every now and then, there's some mess involved, even for our, us grown-ups who would say that we're mature and we're eating solid food. Sometimes it's a mess. And so this morning, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is going to give us four different imageries or, or analogies to kind of help us understand what it looks like for us to grow up into maturity in the midst of the mess. One of the main messes that this church is dealing with 2,000 years ago is picking sides, picking camps, partisanship with their theology, with their leadership. They have this leadership idolatry, and so they've been picking camps, and they've been picking certain teachers and leaders that they want to follow, and Paul has been instructing them through this. He's been identifying their idol, and he's been calling out their new identity in Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to walk through this text, and we're going to see these four different imageries that Paul gives us, the bottle, the field, the temple, and the banquet. Let's start by talking about the bottle a little bit in verses 1 through 4. If you remember the context here, Paul has been addressing this issue at the end, the issue of leadership idolatry. At the end of chapter 2, he talks about the Spirit of God living in us. Those of us who are in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And that Holy Spirit is able to help us discern spiritual truth. We don't have to live it trapped by carnal thinking and fleshly thinking. We don't have to be bound by the impulses of our flesh. But we have the Holy Spirit, which can help us make sense of the spiritual realm and our responsibility as human beings, our responsibility, how to use our flesh, because we are more than just flesh, we are also spiritual. And so in chapter 3, he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, as, as carnal people. There's some immaturity among this church. Remember, he started the book by acknowledging their identity as saints, who have been sanctified as recipients of God's grace and peace. So he's not here saying that they're not Christians. He's saying they're immature Christians. They're, they're giving in to the impulses and the passions of their flesh rather than being led by the Spirit. He says in verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For where there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Paulos, are you not being merely human? He's saying this is, a, this is a very human way to think and live and do life. It's like a bottle. It's like drinking milk. It's one substance, one formula, one caregiver, one nurturer. All right, if you think about a baby breastfeeding, there's one nurturer. If you think about somebody giving a, a baby a bottle, there's, there's one person holding the bottle. There's one formula in that bottle nourishing this baby, and that's it. And that's, that's where faith starts. That's where our life starts, but we must move on from there. And Paul says, I, I, I came to you, church, and remember, Paul planted this church a couple of years earlier, and he says, I came to you, and, and, and I gave you this one substance, the, the milk of Jesus Christ but you're not yet ready for solid food. And there's a debate over what this means, what, what solid food is. Because sometimes, you know, we, we try and figure out what is Christian maturity? Is it knowing more doctrine? Is it having deeper theological debates or convictions? Is it following the right leaders or, or being in the right camp or the right tribe? 
So oftentimes, in, in our culture, in my observation of the church, we, we think that maturity relates to head knowledge, to theological depth, to our ability to master doctrine or to find the right people or teachers or leaders who can parse out Greek in the right way or can help us think deeper. And Paul, actually, in this context here, he's warning about that. And there's some immaturity in this church, but, but he's, he's not saying, in the context of 1 Corinthians, he's not saying that maturity, that to grow up into maturity, that solid food is deeper and more. It's an application of the gospel where we show grace to people who differ. That's solid food. He, he's saying, you, you guys can't even show grace to one another yet. You're picking sides. You're picking camps. You're saying, I'm in this theological camp. I'm in this theological camp. I'm with Paul. I'm with Apollos. I'm with Cephas, the Jesus juke. I'm with Jesus. I don't follow other people. I just follow Jesus. And he's saying, that, that's spiritual immaturity. Spiritual maturity is to, is to embrace diversity and find unity in the midst of diversity and to extend one another grace. And so, church, what we need to know from this in the context of the, this letter to the Corinthians is that Paul is actually appealing to them that maturity isn't to fight over doctrine and to try to fix other people's doctrines. Now, again, there's, there, there, there's a time and a place to talk about specifics and minutia and interpretation and application of Scripture. Absolutely. But he's saying spiritual maturity isn't when everyone has their different doctrines figured out and then we can assign people into what camps they belong in. Spiritual maturity, solid food, is when we can have reasonable, loving, honest conversations about theology and philosophy and any ology. Last week we talked about theologies and we can do it with open hands and we can do it with grace and we can get along with one another Look at verse 3, he says, For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? He's not saying, he's not saying that your fleshliness relates to your lack of theological depth. It's lack of character. It's lack of how you treat people. It's fighting over leaders, fighting over positions, fighting over opinions, picking one side over the other rather than having grace for the gray. So Paul here is actually saying that this, this pathway to maturity, it, it needs to move from the one substance of the bottle of the milk to something greater, right? Part of the immaturity that the church deals with is when we, when we fall into to, to listening to one voice, one camp, one doctrinal slant. That's immaturity. That's milk. One substance, one formula, one bottle, one voice, one direction. And so Paul, Paul is giving us this analogy, and, and just keep in mind that to move from milk onto solid food involves a mess, Right? I've heard this said recently by a handful of other people. Listen to one voice and you become a clone. Listen to two voices and you become confused. Listen to many voices and maybe you'll find some wisdom in the middle, right? And Paul here is instructing this church. And, and, and what he's going to do now, he's moving into this the field analogy. So let's look at verses 5 through 9. And Paul gives us this imagery of a field. He says, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Remember, this church is saying, I follow Apollos because he was a great teacher, great speaker, great orator. Others are saying, I follow Paul. He was the founding pastor of our church. What then are we? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. 
I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. See Paul moving into this field analogy, this, this agricultural, gardening, farming analogy. He moves from the bottle into the farm, and he's saying, I, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. So, so keep in mind, sometimes when we fall into different camps and following different leaders, speakers, podcasters, authors, whatever it is, um, in our, unfortunately, in our culture, our leaders like to war with each other too and get their own following. What, what we need to keep in mind here is that Paul and Apollos weren't warring with each other. They were on the same page. Look at, look at what he says in verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one. Paul and I, we're both proclaiming the gospel. We're both pointing you to Jesus. Remember in the context of the first two chapters, Paul has told us that knowing Christ and him crucified is the most important thing. And so Apollos and, and, and Paul and Peter, they all have a little different way of making Christ known among the family. Some... some some have an emphasis towards teaching, some towards preaching, some towards prayer, some towards administration, some towards music, some towards, like, gritty life. And he's saying, you don't find one that you prefer and just follow them. Anyone who's proclaiming the gospel, they're, they're really on the same team. So some of the correction to the American church, and this is more to me because I'm a pastor, the pastor camps, we need to stop fighting with each other because then our churches start fighting with each other. So I'm sorry on behalf of spiritual leaders and pastors that we can't figure our junk out and that we keep fighting over stuff rather than getting together in rooms and praying. We got to figure that out. And, and Paul here is saying that, that the leaders of this church, they, they did have that figured out, but even in the midst of that, the church was kind of gravitating towards certain leaders. And he's saying, but in this, in this analogy, in this field, there's planting and watering. The path from immaturity to maturity involves getting dirty. What happens in a garden when you plant and water? You get dirt under your fingernails, and it takes weeks. You're going to eventually experience it. We'll see the dirt in a few months. Just hang on. Those of you who garden, the day is coming. Well, you could wear gloves, I guess. Keep it out of your fingernails. But there's, there's this mess involved in maturity, right? Paul is saying as spiritual leaders are involved in the church family, as the church family is involved in doing life with one another, there's planting and watering the gospel. Some people are preaching and teaching the gospel. Some people are doing that in small groups. Some are doing that in coffee shops. There's watering. What, what classifies planting and what classifies watering? I don't really know other than I think what Paul means here is that he was the first one in Corinthians. He planted the gospel. He was the first one to proclaim the gospel to these people. And then Apollos came after him. And Apollos kept watering that seed that was planted. So in the church community, there's, there's people who are sharing the gospel kind of initially and challenging people and encouraging people with truth of the gospel. And there's people who keep watering on that, keep pointing one another to Jesus. And in this process, there is a mess. There's dirt. But maturity happens in the dirt, church family. So keep in mind these analogies. What is your role? Are you more of a planter or more of a waterer or more of a, a weed 
Or are you the one who gets to just come and like pick the flower when it's ripe and put it on your counter, right? This is the analogy that, that Paul is giving us, that in the church, everyone has a different role to play, and, and it, there's a mess involved in all of it, and we're in it together, and we keep going together. And he reminds us in verse 8, he says, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. There's a reminder here in this passage that there is a reward for labor. What you do for the Lord, you will be rewarded for. We're not saved by our work. We're not saved by our labor. We're saved by Jesus' work, by what Jesus did upon the cross. But that should result in work. It should result in labor. And the Bible does teach that when we are all in heaven, we'll all be happy. There will be no more sin or suffering or tears or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Behold, I have made all things new. That's what we're told in Scripture. But in heaven, there will be this, and I don't understand it, it's a mystery, there will be a reward for your labor. Like you'll have a greater degree of enjoying God and all of his good gifts. The more that you do for God in this life, the more that you will enjoy God and his gifts in heaven. And it's weird, right? Because we're all going to enjoy God an infinite amount and all of his gifts an infinite amount. But, but there's something here in this passage that reminds us of this and something in Scripture that actually points towards this, that the more you do for God here and now, the more that you will receive and enjoy then and there. I don't understand it. Here it is. So just do more for God here and now. Right? For one, because it's good to do it here and now. Because our world needs our good works. So just do it, because we should. But then also, keep in mind, maybe I'm going to get a little more in heaven. Who doesn't want a little more? That's amazing. Right? Amen. It's okay. God is a liberal God who wants to shower his children with gifts and good things. And then we move into verse 9. As Paul kind of closes out this, this field, this farm analogy, he says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. In this, in this example, the church leaders are planting and watering, tilling the soil, helping, helping to, to nourish the soil and to bring about all the human elements that they can to bring about growth. But you are God's field. And remember, in verse 6, Paul says, God gave the growth. Human leaders cannot produce growth. We can't manufacture growth. We can't force growth. All we can do is plant and water and till and weed. And then God brings the growth because we are God's field. And then the end of verse 9, he says, God's building. Which is where he now transitions into the third metaphor about the temple. So we're going to look at verses 10 through 17 here. Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me, and we're all given a different grace from God, right? So we need to stop comparing our gifts, our passions, our, our leanings. That's part of what's going on here. They're comparing, they're doing gift projection. And Paul here is saying, according to the grace of God, the undeserved favor of God, the, the, the anointing of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Paul came into Corinth and he laid a foundation of the gospel. This is who Jesus is. This is what it means to follow him. This is what a church is. Y'all got to get into community with one another and worship Jesus. You're all a mess. You all have different backgrounds. You all have different political leanings. You all have different... different. They, in this context, in, 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 the, in the city of Corinth, they're coming from... from 
pagan worship where there's temple prostitution. We're going to actually get into that soon. So if you have kids, I don't know, be ready for it. My kids are here. I guess I better get ready for it. Um, There's this mess of a church. And he's saying, this is the foundation. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the one who unites us. We can have new Jewish converts. We can have Gentile pagans coming together as one, one family, because we're united in Jesus. And so he's saying, I came and I laid that foundation. That was God's grace given to Paul. That was his role, his job. Not Apollos' job, not Peter's job, not... Not, not Priscilla and Aquila's job, not Chloe's job. These are some of the other names mentioned throughout the book. It was Paul's job. He did it. Then he says, and someone else is building upon it. So I did my job, and then someone else came in there. They're doing their job. You lay a foundation, and then someone else builds upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation of the church, period. Not a leader, not a certain theological camp or doctrine, not a certain style of music, not a certain philosophy of ministry. It's all about a man, Jesus Christ. He's the one who unites us. He is our foundation. That's the foundation that Paul laid 2,000 years ago in Corinth. That's the foundation that was laid here in the center of St. Louis Park in the mid-40s. Jesus Christ. He's our foundation. He's the one you, we unite on. And Paul is saying, so there's, there's foundation lane. And to keep with this metaphor of the mess, right? To grow up into maturity, there's a foundation laid, but then you, you build upon a foundation, right? None of us live in a foundation. We live in a house that's built upon a foundation. And building a foundation is messy. There's dust. There's concrete. There's bricks. There's excavators moving dirt It's messy. Paul building the foundation in in Corinth, it was messy. We don't grow into maturity without a mess. When you build a home on top of that foundation, it's messy. You cut wood, and there's sawdust everywhere. We just remodeled our kitchen, and it was messy. So messy, we had to move out of our house for a couple weeks. We were doing dishes in the bathtub because though we weren't having an entire house built, our foundation wasn't being laid. We were just doing a little construction and there was dust everywhere. This is, this is the life that we enter into. We grow up in maturity by embracing the mess and understanding these metaphors that Paul gives us for growing into maturity. They all involve a great mess. He's saying, I laid a foundation, that involved a mess. Somebody comes and they build upon the foundation, that involves a mess. Pick it up in verse 12. He says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Here, Paul is, Paul is saying that there's different ways to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. There's different ways of building the church. He, he's using this temple imagery, which we're going to get into in verse 16 and 17, there's different ways to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Different emphases for different house churches here, different 
different focuses, different motivations, some peer and many impure from leaders. And Paul is giving this warning that any leader who's building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ with things that aren't of God, it's going to be revealed. It's going to be revealed. So if there's a leader building upon the foundation of Jesus, this great platform because they really want to be noticed, they really want to be recognized, they really want to get a bigger paycheck, they want more followers, that's going to be revealed. There, there, there's kind of a warning here to the leaders of the church. What are, you, what are you building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ? What is your church all about? Is it about your likes and your, your reposts? And, and, and be careful. And, and for any one of us, if we're serving Jesus or striving to serve Jesus, there's a right way to build upon the foundation. And we have to be careful that, that we're building with... Uh, upon the foundation, he says, gold, silver, precious stones. Those things don't burn up. But wood, hay, and straw, those do burn up. And Paul is saying there, there, there's some people in the church who have mixed motives and they're, they're using the things that will burn up and aren't substantial and aren't eternal and that will burn away. In, in verse 15, he's, he's actually showing grace. He says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So there are leaders who are using false motives to grow a platform, and, and everything that they've built will likely be burnt away, but if they're actually in Jesus, they, they still have hope. Right? So as we critique leaders, let's not forget that everything that they built may need to burn, because some of it is self, self-seeking, some of it is tribal. So some of that should burn. And God is the one who will burn that. But we ought to hope that they last through the fire themselves so that they will be with Jesus for eternity. And maybe their reward will be smaller than yours in heaven. Even though their reward in this world seemed great. And this is all kind of moving now into this temple. So he's talking about the foundation. He's talking about how we build. And in their minds, they're thinking about the temple, the Old Testament temple, because this is the place where the Spirit of God dwelt. And he says in verse 16, now as he kind of flows out of talking about the foundation and then building upon the foundation, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Christian maturity is to know that the spirit of the living God lives in his people. Not in a certain movement, not in a certain denomination, not in a certain location, not in a certain building built with human hands, but in the people of God. The spirit of God dwells in you. Amen? In the Old Testament, the, the Holy Spirit and presence of God was contained in the Holy of Holies in the, in the tabernacle when they were mobile and then in the temple when they built it in Jerusalem. And now the New Testament, the new covenant reality is that the Spirit of the living God dwells in us. He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. This has nothing to do with spilling coffee on the carpet in church. That's not destroying the temple. This has nothing to do with damaging a human structure. 
This has everything to do with how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ and how we pick camps and how we throw stones at people that we disagree with. Remember, Paul, in this whole context here, he's talking about that he's warning the church to be careful from giving in to leadership idolatry and following certain leaders. And he's saying that the thing that will destroy the temple, the thing that tears down the people of God is when we throw stones at one another, when we bicker, when we fight, when we, as he says in verse 3, when there's jealousy and strife among you. Saying, you are the temple of God. God's Holy Spirit dwells within you. And he dwells within the brother or sister with whom you're disagreeing. If they're professing Jesus is Lord, the Spirit of God is in that person. That person is a temple that the Spirit of God resides in, as are you. And therefore, you better love one another. You better figure it out. You better get along because if you keep throwing stones at one another, if you keep tearing one another down, you are running the risk of destroying the temple of God. And look at what he says in verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. It's a serious matter to tear down brothers and sisters in Christ. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Have you ever just wanted to be on holy ground? Like, when you read the story of God in the burning bush with Moses, and he says, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground, and in, in, in the midst of our growth towards maturity and our, in our immaturity, we're like, God, I just want you. I just want you. Would you come down in a burning bush? Would you speak to me from on high? Would you, would you bring me to a, to a place that is just holy? It's completely unlike anything I've ever known. And what we're just told here is that you are the temple where the holy presence of God lives. Amazing. God has chosen to dwell, to take up residence in us. And so we build up the church by honoring the spirit of God in one another, fighting for unity, and we build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ with truth that doesn't, that doesn't burn up. We don't, we don't adopt ideologies or philosophies of the culture that we live in. We build upon the truth of Jesus Christ with substance that transcends culture. Remember, this, this was written 2,000 years ago. I don't think 2,000 years from now they're going to be talking about if... I'm not going to give any examples. How, how many cultural things are we dealing with right now that 2,000 years from now, if, if the Lord tarries or doesn't return or calls home until then and, and there's still people inhabiting this earth without the return of the king 2,000 years from now, they're not going to be talking about half the things that we, are important, that we think are important right now. They're going to be culturally, culturally irrelevant. They would pick up a book and be like, these people were talking about the internet and smartphones. What is, how antiquated how old, what, what a primitive group of people. Can you believe that they used a thing called the internet? And so 2,000 years ago, we have progressed. We're much more advanced in certain ways than they were, and yet this book cuts to the heart. It's so culturally relevant, and Paul is saying that, that, that that's what it means to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. He's writing a letter. The church leaders are instructing in a timeless manner the idols of the human heart and calling out the true identity. 
And so let's move now as we close down from this temple imagery to the banquet. Remember where Paul started with this imagery of the bottle and the milk. One substance, one feeder. And let's close out here by considering the banquet. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the, the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. They are vapor. They are like striving after the wind. That, that kind of summarizes all of what Paul has been teaching here in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. That just, we can't trust our own intellect and wisdom and, and all of our efforts. They're futile. They're like chasing after the wind. And then verse, these last couple of verses here brings it down into this banquet imagery. He says, so let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Paul is saying spiritual immaturity is to receive one substance, to drink milk, to drink milk, to drink milk through a bottle, through a bottle, through a bottle, through the feeder, the feeder, the feeder, one substance, one avenue, one lane, one teacher, one theological idea, one church expression, one worship style. It's narrow-minded. At the end of the chapter here, he's saying, why would you guys fight over certain leaders? They're all yours. That's literally what he's saying. Come to the banquet. Come to the feast. Anyone proclaiming Jesus, and they may have a different slant. They may have a different angle. They may have a different interpretation. They may have a different thing that they're focusing in on, but they're all yours. Isn't that what he's saying? Verse 21, for all things are yours, whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas. Stop fighting over your leaders. They're all yours. Receive truth from any source of truth that you can get it. Whether the world or life or death or present or future, the good gifts now, the struggles now, they're all yours. They're all given to you to help you grow up into maturity. All the leaders are given to, to you to help you grow up into maturity. All the adversary, all the struggles, all the suffering, it's, it's yours to help you grow up into maturity. It's part of the mess of maturity. And all of the gifts, all of the good things, all of the joys, everything that will come in the future, it's all yours and you are Christ's. You are secure you are safe, you are at home, you have a new identity, and Christ is God's. The Spirit, it's like wrapping us up into the Trinity, not in a heretical way. But in these chapters, Paul has been teaching us about God, the true wisdom from on high, and Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God embodied among us, and then the Holy Spirit living in us, revealing to us spiritual truths. And then he's saying, you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. You are safe within the community of God. Amen? And so the, the, the path, the messy path from maturity is to give up the bottle and come to the banquet where, where all things are ours for the glory of God, for our good and the advancement of his gospel. This passage calls us to lay down our, our picky selection and our infighting and our partisanship and to say, anyone who could stir in me a hunger and a love for Jesus, I want to be at that table. 
I want to feast with the brothers and sisters who are stirring my affections for the Christ. And so this morning as we close down, I just want to ask you, have you, have you asked yourself two questions as we take communion? I'm going to have you take communion on your own this morning in the pew as the worship team leads us in a song. And I want you to reflect on these two questions. What idols do you need to repent of? We all have them. There's, there's, there's no shame in it. They just exist. The, the human heart is an idol factory. We're always trying to elevate things over God. And so what specific idols do you have that you need to repent of? And then what identity do you need to receive? As you repent of your idol, look at these words and, and be reminded of who God says you are in Jesus Christ and, and what identity do you need to replace your idols with and just grab onto and believe and to receive this morning and to walk into. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come up and, and just lead us through a song of reflection about us being the temple of the living God and God doing his holy work of cleansing us as he, as he builds his temple. And uh, take communion when you feel led and ready to do so as you reflect on who Jesus is and what he's done in our place, on our behalf. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. I thank you for being our foundation. Lord, as we build upon the foundation, may we use gold, silver, precious stones, things of substance that won't burn up and pass away, but that will help us grow in maturity. Lord, may we move from milk to solid food. May we embrace the mess of planting and watering. May we embrace the mess of the building of the temple, the laying of the foundation, and the building upon the foundation. And Lord, may we be able to receive all things that point us to you. For your glory, our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.